Welcome to Dragged into Turbo Lasers, a miniature wargaming podcast from the people behind the blog Between the Bolter and Me. And in today's episode, we talk with Anna Palanchuk about her professional miniature painting studio and blog by the name of Gardens of Akate. And in it, we talk about her fantastic yet macabre painting style and miniature creations as well as a new Kickstarter she has working with Dave Taylor to create a book about her distinctive style and creative process. So with that, sit back and enjoy. Everybody and welcome to Dragged into Turbo Lasers, a Between the Bolter and Me podcast. This is episode 84, and I'm your host, Eric Wire, and I'm here today with my brothers, Adam Wire. Hey, everybody. Greg Wire. Hey, everyone. And I'm thrilled to say we have our friend Anna Palanchuk here with us, who she's actually a professional miniature painter from Croatia, who's behind the blog as well as now the professional painting studio Gardens of Akate and is also currently doing a Kickstarter with Dave Taylor to create a book showcasing her work. But again, we're happy to have you here. How are you doing, Anna? Hi guys, I'm I'm doing great. Lovely day. Yeah, now agreed and yeah, we're really happy to have you on here. I feel we've been kind of talking about it or thinking about it for a little while then Uh, COVID and all that stuff turned everyone's worlds upside down and I know it kind of made it more difficult to start your painting studio and stuff but it's it's great to finally be doing this (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's great to be here finally yeah (laughs) but I guess like yeah we've been following your work for a number of years now just kind of admiring your imaginative and macabre styling of miniatures and such and I guess fortunately also got the opportunity to meet you back in 2019 for the uh, Alexander Winberg's Mordheim 19 event um, and finally got to see some of your uh, grim looking models in person but like yeah that was a great experience and ultimately <laughs> I'm happy it happened before uh, 2020 because then yeah. who knows it, it, it was it was really great I, I loved that event um, I had a great time and I met uh, a, a bunch of awesome people that I knew from the internet and then finally I, I yeah. had the chance to meet them in person including you guys yeah, no, nah, it's, it's true, and I feel that's kind of a strength and a cool element of just the hobby community in general, the ability to connect with people and then eventually sort of connect and um, actually meet up at some time, whether it's a convention or other things. But I guess maybe just to get right into some questions and such... You're from Croatia, which is a relatively small European country honestly is smaller than even Pennsylvania or we had grown up in based on that like what's the miniature wargaming community like there and how did you even get into the hobby as a whole uh yeah Croatia is small there's like about four million people living in the whole country and in the capital where I live it's about a million people and this is a niche hobby and so of course there's not many people doing this Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a community. There actually are many communities. Like the, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a part of a, uh, an association, like a club, a little club uh, that gathers people who, who do wargaming and painting. And there are other such clubs. There's a local gaming store, you know, and there's a lot of people playing at home with their friends. Mm-hmm. I got into the hobby when I was about 11 or 12. Um, and I saw actually a flyer from that local gaming store 
where I saw the Warhammer Fantasy Chaos Knights, and I thought they were amazing and just the, the greatest thing. And this whole hobby, like you, you can you can have an army of, of little toy soldiers that you can paint yourself. Like, wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I I told my parents like. Mom, Dad, I, I want this. I, I want Chaos Knights. So they bought me Marauders, which was a good call on their part because Chaos Knights were metal and I would have had a hard time. <laughs> I love that. those old Chaos Knights, though. Yeah, I still love them. Someday I should probably get get uh, some and, and paint them with, with my skills today. That would be cool. These are the um, old, like the Brian Nelson ones? No, these were during 6th edition. Okay. Uh, uh, they were metal. Yeah, horses yep. were plastic, and the guys on top were metal. And there was like the the champion was had a bald head with horns, and he had a sword in the air. You know. Oh, yeah, you yeah. And I, honestly, I feel one of Games Workshops. I think their first multi part kit was like some Chaos Warriors that I, eventually they made kind of the knights in some of that style. Yeah, uh, but it, it's not those. It's the ones that came after. Okay, okay. Well, th- those are better looking models. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that's how I got started. And uh, first, I just painted miniatures at home. I, you know, I read the rule book, didn't really bother with playing. Uh, just, you know, I just collected. And then after a while, I got a bit older and uh, I decided to join the club. Uh, the club's name is OMS Agadam here in Zagreb. So, hello to everyone from Agadam who's listening. Um, and yeah, later I started my blog, much later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I did that for a while, and now I'm a freelance painter and a sculptor of miniatures. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and it's kind of neat to hear just the general progression of things and how, like a you know, a hobby could actually turn into a career, and how you can take it to all these interesting places. Yeah, 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 because you you mentioned your blog, and yeah, like you started the uh, Gardens of Hakate, I think in the latter part of uh 2012 which ultimately was only i think a few months before we started our blog between the balter and me but unlike our blog which kind of stumbled around doing i don't know uninteresting reviews and unboxings and stuff trying to actually find a unique voice i think you came out like immediately very focused and seemingly fully formed like even I think your second post dealt with some like blood fiends with the countess and things like that, that I feel you've continually evolved and worked with over the years. Um, how did sort of this come about and like you stay so focused in throughout kind of your whole tenure throughout the hobby? Uh, the blog was originally started to be about this particular warband, like the Countess and her spirit minions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had this aesthetic that they did. You, you, can, you can see them. Uh, they're very grim and, and uh, macabre and lots of skulls and ghosts and, you know, <laughs> red and white. and All yeah. the best things. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I uh, designed the blog to look you know the way to match them so mm-hmm. it all looks like you know it all, all all goes well together and you know later i expanded my scope on different projects i added stuff like the world the of those ghosts and the countess it, it evolved and later i moved on to other worlds but uh, in general i uh, kept this this core aesthetic and atmosphere uh, as it was in the beginning uh, it this wasn't difficult to me because that that's what I like. I like to keep things consistent and mm-hmm. uh, this aesthetic really appeals to me and the atmosphere and mood. Those are the things that are the most important things to me in, in miniatures and wargaming and in, in art in general, actually. Yeah. No. And I think, and that is very easily seen if yeah, you look through kind of your work on the blog or on your like, uh, website, Instagram, things like that, that you do have a 
very uh, distinct style and you try to be consistent with that, which I think is neat and it makes your work very, very distinctive, which is awesome, awesome as well. I guess I'd be maybe a, a little interested to hear more about like how you kind of got excited about some of this mythology and that sort of thing. I know you have like a background like in English and cult- cultural anthropology. Is that correct? And has that influenced some of your creations here and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in English and cultural anthropology. I was working on earning a master's degree, but that didn't pan out. Um, through my studies of that, I got exposed to stuff like literature, folklore, different cultures, religions, different approaches to studying those cultures and religions and thinking about them. I learned how culture works pretty much, uh, how contradictory people can be. And, uh, <laughs> and also I got thoroughly disillusioned with a lot of stuff uh, in, my t- in my time there, including uh, academia as such. Oh, God, so, I hear that. <laughs> uh, but my interest in, in these topics uh, came before I, I actually went to study that. I went to study cultural anthropology because I was interested in folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that interest came, like, very early in my life, I guess. Like, when I look at my, uh, you know, old drawings from when I was a kid, I can see that I was dealing with the same topics kind of that, that I am now like there, there's okay you know, that's awesome ghosts and skeletons and they're not the bad guys they, they have their perspective it's it's very interesting like I, I made myself laugh I found some uh, like a picture book that I drew like basically a graphic novel when I was seven and it, it was amazing like I really got the kick out of it it's uh... <laughs> that's great one thing that Eric touched upon a little bit, how yeah, one of your early posts on the blog was about these blood fiends, which are like spirits of horses that were fed like human flesh. Yeah. I found it neat that over the years you have continually to revisited that topic and remade those models to at least thus far culminate in one of the a Kickstarter that was done for some casts of some of your miniatures where you have like an updated version of those blood fiends so like i have found it neat that you have continually tried to come back to things that you did in the past and like update them yeah yeah i I do that a lot like it it was it looked great to me at the time but you know i've advanced in my skills and and, you know ideas over the years and then i look back to it oh i could i could do this better let's let's do that yeah yeah uh, i'm sure that like this gardens world with the blood fiends and all that i kind of you know, stopped working on it because I had other worlds to to occupy me. But someday I think I will go back to that world and, uh, you know, redesign it, update it, mm-hmm. make it better. Because there, there are some things that I think don't fit too well. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what I do with it someday. Mm-hmm. Something to look forward to. <laughs> and like another, another model that you've revisited. So... Hieronymus Bosch, which I may have butchered his name, he has the one picture that has a little like blue imp playing like a flute, which I know you made an early model like attempting to imitate him using like some Nurgle plague bear models, but then you updated him again for that the miniature project, which I always thought was great. Yeah, yeah, I, I managed to make him pretty much spot on. Like yeah, there no, were there that's... were limitations because it's a model that needs to be produced in metal. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I liked revisiting that idea. Maybe someday I'll make an even better version when I become a <laughs> With that, when kind of um, exploring different cultures and mythologies and such, do you tend to try to take different ones and incorporate them and change them, or is there particular? folklore that you're particularly invested in no i I take like elements from different sources and mix and match to get something new yeah that's that's usually my approach there's a story in in folklore or if there's uh, like a just a little bit like uh, like when when i was doing legan and uh, which was an event i did uh, which had knights fighting giants Mm -hmm. it was in 2018, I think. 
yeah, I, it was a community event. So anyway, I was making my uh, my knight and his retinue, and I did a series of little stories with miniatures to to uh, represent how he uh, found his uh, retinue members along the way to fight the giants. Mm-hmm. And I incorporated several like bits from different folklore tales. Like they, uh, he found his elf companion when they fought uh, a basilisk, and I, I used the. The, the legend that uh, ba- the blood of basilisk can give you the power to understand the language of birds. So they killed the basilisk. They got mm-hmm. this power because, you know, some of the blood got on them. And then in a later story, they could understand the two ravens who, um, who are from uh, an Irish ballad. Uh, and they, they talk to each other about uh, the corpse of a murdered knight that they, they were going to eat. Mm-hmm. So they heard the ravens because they could understand them because of the blood of the basilisk. They found the murdered knight, they took him to a necromancer, and they got another retinue member from that <laughs> So yeah, that's stuff awesome. like that. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And I feel um, other people who are maybe familiar with some of those things can kind of see some of those parallels, or even if not, just people trying to um, take stuff from their own experiences and trying to relate it. Like, I mean, Legan in general, it always, uh, I thought was cool. It sort of reminded me of like Seven Samurai, like Akira Kurosawa's film, that idea of try- a band of different samurai or whatnot trying to defend the village and such. And it's sort of a story that is portrayed a lot in different communities and lore and such and it's neat to see it in like this style yeah Uh, someday i would like to turn it into a uh, into a you know self-standing game like yeah yeah at some point (laughs) okay that would that would uh be great that would be great i guess and another question like you have an incredibly sort of distinctive style of converting as well as painting trying to get these sort of fantastical yet sometimes grotesque designs together as well as keeping sort of a, a more true scale proportion to a lot of your models. Can you talk a little bit about this style, maybe how it came to be and like how you, you know, go about converting and creating models? Sure. Um, like in the past few years, I started using uh, historical miniatures as base for my, uh, you know, humans in, in my worlds and games. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, when they look so mundane and familiar, uh, then the, the, the creatures and monsters and stuff that looks uncanny and unnatural looks even more uncanny and unnatural because of the contrast. Mm-hmm. So basically... Yeah, the, the the little humans that come from history are more believable because they they look familiar to us. Yeah. Like when I look at uh, like the aesthetics of let's say World of Warcraft, uh, I I can't imagine any of that stuff, including the environments and whatever, ever <laughs> existing in a physical world. I it's just yeah, it, it, that aesthetic never captivated me. I understand that people like it, but for me never appealing yeah yeah. Uh, i like to keep things grounded and then you know pop in something that's completely insane that you know and the the people in in my worlds find it completely insane just just like we would yeah yeah no i think that's a good approach yeah and it makes things like a little bit more relatable as well that there are all these sort of standard things but then if something's a little bit out of place, it's a lot more terrifying and unnerving. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I feel your use of like Perry miniatures and other historical miniatures. I feel you are one of the first people that I've seen kind of in just the general hobby community that makes a lot of use of those sorts of things. And yeah, I think they, it, it helps a lot. And it's certainly kind of something that, the three of us like and it kind of our blog we spend a lot of time complaining and fussing <laughs> over uh trying to get better scale on things 
Well, I feel, Adam, you spend a ton of time like taking Games Workshop's miniatures and trying to make them have better proportions when perhaps the better idea <laughs> is to start with models with better yeah. proportions like you've done. <laughs> I should do more of that. Yeah. It's like I feel now more often than not, it's like I like this model, but I have to re like trim down their feet to be like half the size and then re-sculpt their boots, which I guess in some regards is a good exercise in sculpting and stuff. But I do need to look more into the historical miniatures because, and the same thing is true with like the little weapons and stuff, like yeah. the tiny little swords and war hammers and stuff. Instead of just trying to remake all that stuff, like, Lots of people have already sculpted great little war hammers and maces and stuff. And I think that in general, like if they do have more realistically scaled like weapons and stuff, when they do come across some horrifying construct or monster or something like that also helps to heighten that sense of dread and like un all that stuff. So like that, that's good. Yeah. Um, I guess in addition to just like your converting and such, I feel even in your some like your earliest blog posts and stuff, you weren't kind of like afraid to make liberal uses of like green stuff and modeling putty and things like that, which isn't really something that Games Workshop really does a lot to promote. I mean, they certainly sell it and maybe it's used to be mentioned a little bit in some of the older magazines, but it's not now. What has kind of pushed you to be, you know, unafraid of doing that or like sculpting and such, and now even sculpting entire models? Well, it's, it's quite simple. I just had ideas and I wanted to make those things and there were no bits that existed mm -hmm. or there were bits, but they would cost me too much. So I just said, well, I'm going to learn how to sculpt. It's, it's, it's not impossible. So many people can sculpt. Mm -hmm. and, you know, so, so I started uh, learning. It's, it's like that with everything. Some, some things are easier. Others are, you know, take a lot of effort, but many are worth it. And uh, when you learn a new skill like that, it gives you power to achieve the vision you have in your head. But what you need to have is motivation coming from inside from your from yourself mm -hmm. and dedication to go through with it. So because resources to to learn, they're, they're out there. They're like the internet has them. They're easy to find. Okay, some some not that easy, but they are out it's there. There. There, yeah. are, there are there are people you can add. There are videos. There are you know articles, whatever. You know, you, you just need to be motivated and dedicated. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like, I'm, I'm not where I'm not yet as good as I want to be at sculpting. But, you know, and, and I will I will never be able to do everything I imagine in my head. But that doesn't discourage me to try. No, yeah, I feel that's a very good mindset and being sort of so open to trying new and different things. It just allows you to learn. And I think in general, like this hobby as a whole, it's about painting and doing all these small, finely detailed things. I think a lot of us, if you do just push through kind of the unease and uncertainty about something new, like you'll probably surprise yourself with what you, what you can do. And then every, you know, step towards that, I think, you make something better and better. And yeah, if you just continue with that motivation, like you said, I think a lot can, you know, come of that. And I think certainly anyone following your work can kind of see that and see the progression and how it's grown over the years into like such a cool, a cool thing. That's, that's a good thing about running a blog because you, you mm -hmm. have, you, you document, you document your progress over the years and, uh, you know, everyone can see maybe it motivates motivates someone to to get started because you know when when you encounter my work now, like you you, you know you may forget that I didn't start out knowing all this stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I had to get here, you know. Yeah, and it's been over a multiple years as well. Like it's yeah, not something that just overnight that came into being. 
Yeah, that that is a, a very good point. I mean, I guess in addition to just your like conversions and sculpting and stuff, you also have a very distinctive painting style that I think sort of emphasizes kind of the grim darkness that people talk about inherent in Games Workshop settings, even though I think most of Games Workshop models from like the heavy, heavy metal team and stuff don't really have that grim sort of styling they don't have what like the john blanche's sort of bleakness and that sort of thing can you talk a little bit about your style and like how you go about that sort of painting process and maybe any sort of tips to anyone who would want to try to achieve something like that okay um i was always leaning towards this you know darkish style in, in my paint jobs and this was less successful when I was less skilled because <laughs> when you do stuff like that, it can always uh, it can look the miniature can look unreadable, like like a blob of nothing, like especially from yeah. a tabletop distance. Like okay, when you take it and look at it, yeah, you, you kind of see stuff. So like later, I learned that I I need to you know properly highlight stuff that. Uh, uh, edge highlighting and black lighting are both awesome techniques for this style of painting. I think a lot of people who paint in this style forget about that. Uh, it, it really uh, like helps the, the miniature to be readable for this, from a distance. Yeah, no, I feel that that's true because like I know some people like who aren't as excited about this sort of niche of the hobby will kind of make fun of this i'm gonna say blend shichu style that like it's just bad painting and like if you don't really want to try just do that but i feel that is sort of a disservice and like if you want to do a style like that but have it really read like yours does anna like you do have to use some like classical techniques or you do have to be very precise in what you're doing and why you're doing you have it to understand what what you're doing and yeah. why you can't just slap on uh, you know washes and and uh, contrast paints <laughs> <laughs> isn't it one contrast that. one thick coat and you're there right yeah yeah <laughs> nah but yeah. yeah in all seriousness like you're saying yeah like you have to be have a reason for what you're doing and or maybe to say another way the more you have like a reason why you're doing particular things like the better it's going to look and the better you're going to be able to convey the feelings or emotions you want to yeah did i hear you say you haven't actually tried any of the contrast paints yeah i, I don't think i have i don't own any maybe i tried them at a convention or something but, yeah. <laughs> So I've, I remember when they came out, I went and bought a few of them. And to this point, the only time I've ever used them, it's always just as like an additional like glaze or something to get like a small effect here or there. Like, that's it. Like, I've never really used one to paint a model yeah. because I guess. So yeah, to my I've, style of painting, I don't think it fits anywhere. Really. Yeah. Well, like I've always even like washes and stuff in general it's like i'm working on paint stuff working on paint stuff and then it's like all right i'm gonna put a wash over it's like well i've ruined it <laughs> um and yeah on, on the other hand i i work a lot with washes and glazes so like contrast paints are kind of like that so what yeah where do i fit them i i don't know maybe i should buy one and see also kind of towards that end I painted one of your blood fiends and the little skull familiar with the hat. I painted yeah. some of those with primarily contrast paints. They were the first time I tried to use them, and they worked out pretty well. I mean, admittedly, I didn't really try to use them in the way GW sort of suggests, like just slap on a thick coat and it's beautiful. But <laughs> I did use them, but... With that said, I think they are a lot like other paints that if you use them and try to use layers and after like just putting one on isn't going to result in probably what you want. Like you do need to highlight some things or darken recesses and things. So like 
I feel like anything, you still need to put in the time if you want to get it to, you know, where you're at. You sort of imagine it. So, like everything, there isn't just going to be one product that just magically does it for you and removes the skill and time you need to invest. So... Um, and this is actually mentioned in the chat, but since we're talking a little bit about your painting style and stuff, can you talk a little bit about the speckle sort of effect that you tend to add to a lot of your pieces and like why you do that and kind of what you think that adds? Sure. Uh, that's an interesting thing. I discovered that when I was doing a study of, uh, so I was making a miniature that was supposed to look like uh, one of John Blanche's sketches. So mm. I, I, I wanted to, like, it, it's, it was a study, basically. So I made a Bostroyan guard, artsman, mm-hmm. based on one of his sketches. Um, and then I went to paint him the way John paints his, his concept art. So I tried to emulate that. And I, I saw that he does that. He, he you know, sprays, like, dots on 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 his artwork and i was like okay so i did that on my model and and i was like yeah that kind of looks awesome (laughs) i'm not sure what that is it's kind of like a particle effect or something because it it kind of feels like it it adds atmosphere to a model i don't know like he's standing in an environment Mm -hmm. that has this stuff floating in the air like I, i don't know i'm not sure but I'm very happy that I did that study because I discovered that neat trick and then I started applying it. Yeah, it's amazing. Like it does, it adds a lot of like atmosphere and feeling to a lot of the models in like a very major way that, yeah, like I don't, I wouldn't have thought of it. How do you tend to apply that? Is it like flicking a brush or do you? Yeah. I take a, brush with stiff bristles like mm-hmm. for, for with gouache you know technique um, and I dip it in a slightly diluted paint and then I pull back the bristles and let them go and I spray I'll always uh, try it out on like a piece of paper or something <laughs> so you don't fuck up your miniature yeah yeah it's like after you've largely finished it the last thing you want to yes, do yes. is <laughs> Have you had instances where you felt like you kind of fucked that up or have you practiced uh, yeah, it yeah. enough that you but feel I, like... I managed, I managed to rescue it if I fuck it up because it's slightly diluted paint. So if, oh, oh I put too much, I just dip it in water and, yeah. you know, before, before <laughs> yeah. it dries, and, yeah, okay, it, it's fine. That's good. That's... I mean, but that is kind of a difficulty in some sense with acrylic paints that they, they do dry pretty quickly. But I guess maybe even getting back to the sort of courage to try new things and stuff the more you try that like oftentimes even mistakes you can learn something new or be able to apply that and do something interesting to it as you try to fix it or things like that so yeah i feel push on try different things yeah experimentation is is great for you know progressing your artistic skill Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when i feel like just the notion of like spending some time to study some of the artwork that you really enjoy and try to derive some of the interesting aspects of it that in this case led to you discovering something that adds an interesting dimension to all of your painting that you wouldn't have suspected. So like pay attention to the art that you like. Yeah. And not, not just look at it, but also try to emulate it because then you think about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's really much different than just looking at it and thinking about it. It's it's a bit deeper. Yeah, when you try to analyze it critically, but then also take that next step, like it it allows you to appreciate it in a in a different way. Yeah, it's trying to figure out like what medium they used or like how did they achieve this particular effect. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in addition to just uh, building and painting models, you also play a bunch of games that you've showcased on your blog throughout the years. Like you even, I think, posted something new yesterday or recently. 
but like mm-hmm. monstrous births was something uh legging you talked briefly about um even in this episode with them you off often experiment with different kind of custom rule settings i know in the past you've kind of uh, modified the rules to Malifaux to fit this, and then even now you've, you're starting to develop a system, Fabia, I believe. Um, when playing these games and doing this sort of thing, is there a, an important thing that you look for in rule sets, and how do you use that to kind of create the atmosphere games you want to play? Um, generally, what I like in a rule set is that it's flexible and light, so it, so it doesn't get in the way of telling the story. The, mm-hmm. the rule system should enable you to tell different kinds of stories, or if you have a particular scenario uh, in mind, maybe you find a rule set that's perfect for that kind of scenario. Uh, the way we developed our system, Fabula, was uh, it was meant to be the system for our event. Uh, uh, Sun holds the first triumvirate, which was supposed to take place last summer. But uh, because of the pandemic, it, it was uh, canceled. And hopefully someday we're going to mm-hmm. have that. Anyway, we, my brother and I designed the rules uh, that would uh, help the game run smoothly. So uh, we expected the, like eight plus players. So uh, it needed to be very light so you don't spend too much time thinking about the rules or, you know, figuring out what you can do with your model. And also it needed to, to enable you to do many actions other than just fighting. So, mm-hmm. you know, exploration, uh, communicating with others, like other you know, models interacting in, in the models and the environments interacting in different ways than just bashing and smashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since we developed it uh, and we, you know, said, yeah, we made a rule system. Everyone was like, oh, you made a rule system. Can we see it? And then we made it public. <laughs> we made a, a Facebook group, and then we kind of started uh, developing it so it can be more generally applicable, not just for our events, but, you know, in general. And, uh, you know, we're still working on it. For the past month and a half, I think, we were uh, playtesting... Uh, rules for campaigns with that system so that, that's what my battle report was like uh, recently mm-hmm. with uh, another giant problem uh, I seem to like yeah the, the <laughs> giant. fucking giants yeah and so yeah I, I think uh, at some point we're gonna publish that rule system and, and do something with it you know turn it into a product yeah, no, that sounds great because I know you like you mentioned about the ability to have like rules to actually do a more broad variety of things other than like yeah. close combat and shoot. And I can that's see what that like, like about Malifaux. That's yeah, what yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That yeah, Malifaux. I was always impressed with the system because it did incorporate different actions and stuff into the rules and even just into the scenarios and such it wasn't always just kill all things or like get behind enemy lines there were other more interesting things to kind of push you to you know have more a more narrative theme to your games which i think is cool and it's neat to see you over the years kind of build upon that and take things that you like to sort of impart that and help because i know certainly for people that maybe came into the hobby initially with 40k and things like that and want to get into this sort of darker styling of things and narrative games it can be kind of difficult to do that or like well Games Workshop has always sort of spoon-fed me these these sorts of things, like, how should I do this? And I think having a light rule system that can kind of push you naturally towards doing those things is helpful as people try to get into this themselves and enjoy that sort of creative synthesis of rules and story and models. So there's a, a question from the people in the chat here asking about um, the environments and backdrops that you create to include in most of the pictures of your stories along with 
you've done a bunch of like little mini installations and like your shadow boxes that you've built. What's the process behind that? And I would certainly say with all of your photography, with having all the scenery in the background, it really helps elevate the pictures to go beyond just an image of a cool model. Like it helps kind of create an evocative story just in and itself. Yeah, for for a lot of my photos, especially recently, I use my actual gaming scenery as the backdrop. So I put the board, I put all the scenery in the back, I, I make a neat composition, and then I take pictures. I do that for my battle reports. Like, w- when I play a game, I don't want to take pictures while I'm playing a game for various reasons. Like, I don't want to, like... It, it, the pics look better if, if I make a composition, you know, I can do it in peace, mm-hmm. I can fix the lighting, I can do everything like that. So, yeah, that's my gaming scenery, which I just put together to, to make a nice composition for a photo. In in other pictures, I just, you know, put a black backdrop and take a picture of the miniature on it, or uh, what else? I had, a, like, a green backdrop that I kind of stopped using. Uh, that I painted just with acrylics on paper. So it's basically a sheet of printer paper smeared with ochre and black and green acrylics. So I, I'm sure you'll find it in, in the Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I use? Oh, so you you mentioned my uh, like boxed saints, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are fully scratch built. Uh, like busts basically inside a wooden box with a glass window i they're they're a bit bigger they're not 28 millimeter of course they're mm-hmm. like the box is uh, maybe three inches tall and yeah I, I i make those and i paint them and uh people like them because i sold a bunch of them yeah uh, most of them i made were made for people uh, like uh, they were commissions mm-hmm. And I, I like I mean, that. They're really cool. I like the format because, like, I can make all kinds of characters into these little mummies. Mostly yeah. people come to me and say, "Oh, I want like uh, a Saint Basil, uh, Saint Bartholomew, who was uh, flayed. He mm-hmm. was a martyr. <laughs> so, it's, like, awesome. Like, this is gonna look cool. There's a lot of medieval <laughs> artworks of him. Like, uh, Catholic saints are completely mental <laughs> i i take a lot of inspiration from from their uh, you know legends mm-hmm. well, very so very grimdark you had mentioned on your feature on the grimdark film club you had mentioned the book heavenly bodies which is a look at i guess the catacombs of like saints from the catholic church and how they like decorate them up with all sorts of stuff and a lot of these boxes remind me of stuff that I saw in that. Like, yeah, would you say yeah. that's one of the inspirations you've used for it? Absolutely, that is one of the inspirations. Even some of the the Saint Mummies that I made are directly influenced by the Catacomb Saints. Uh, the, their their history is actually really interesting. They they weren't they weren't actually saints. They were just some random bodies that they <laughs> found in the catacombs, and they said okay, these are now saints because we need counter-reformation. And then they sent them to, to you know, small towns all across Central Europe to re- revive the, the Catholicism, basically, because it was, you know, in danger because of the, the Protestantism started mm-hmm. you know, rising. And so they, they, they told people, yeah, this is a, an early martyr from, you know, days of Rome. <laughs> and yeah, they gave them names, they dressed them up, and they put them on display to inspire the people. And yeah. yeah what it, an it's, inspiration. It's, it's really <laughs> fascinating stuff. Like, They're still uh, inspiring people now, but probably in a different sense. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. they're inspiring me. Yeah. So. That's cool. What sort of things do you use to sculpt to sculpt them no it's mixed media you uh, i use like milliput green stuff and uh, the air drying clay and 
you know, little jewelry elements and uh, tiny little like gems and stuff that's usually used like it's meant to be used for decorating fingernails. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, if, if you need gems for your you know loot piles for for miniatures, you have a have a look at uh, <laughs> nail art uh, supplies. There's That's a good idea. There, yeah. Yeah, no, all that 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 stuff's cool, and like as was touched on a little bit earlier, like all your backdrops and just in general, spending some time to focus on creating terrain and such for your models to be over, I think is a is an, a good experience because it's maybe it's a slightly different challenge than models, but also it just allows you to have better and nicer things for the games you eventually play and i feel unfortunately we don't do enough of that and it it makes it harder to want to even play games as well if you just have a sea of gw plastic buildings yeah (laughs) that aren't yeah (laughs) terrain is absolutely very important if if you want to have an immersive experience gaming Mm-hmm. Yeah, so paint paint your plastic games workshop buildings. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Warcry, a lot of from the first Warcry game, a lot of those like ruins and buildings, like I feel they they can slot in like many many different things. Like they're not so distinctly games workshop stuff that like I feel if you paint them in the right kind of grim like desaturated look they'll they fit for a lot of things yeah yeah as soon as i saw as soon as they you know previewed them i was like yes i'm getting that yeah I i'm on board <laughs> it i i have like maybe three or four sets you know i have a whole table full of that so i kind of converted it and you know made like modifications so it's not all the same but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. when I first saw it, it really de- uh, reminded me of like dungeons in Diablo two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I, love, I love Diablo two, and uh, and this this stuff, it's it's awesome scenery. I, I'm not sorry that I bought so much. <laughs> Mentioned yeah. Diablo two. How did you feel about Diablo three? <laughs> because you know, like I mean, it was a fun game, similar mechanics, but I felt the imagery verged more towards like world of warcraft fantastical stuff and away from the grimness of diablo 2 such that i did not like it as much yeah uh, we agree on that uh but still there's a bunch of interesting uh, scenery inspiration inside diablo 3 i would uh, go and you know roam around different environments in diablo 3 and oh look this detail looks interesting I would just screenshot mm-hmm. it, you know. Like, there's a bunch of urns in the cemeteries in in, in the game. So, yeah, that that's kind of cool. So, I actually implemented that in my own uh, scenery. Cemetery. Well, I I made them from uh, beads, like wooden beads and some little metal rings. So that's yeah, a you good get, idea like, too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I kind of felt Diablo 3, they tried to put more of a story into the game than the other games when in the... Yeah, in the but they did, it didn't work. It didn't yeah, they work. didn't need the rubbish. They yeah, didn't need... It was so bad. Like, <laughs> they didn't yeah, stick oh, to their strengths and using like more of the evocative storytelling that kind of emerges from the game and tried to... Yeah, your journey was the story. But, well, particularly in the original game, because you were just going lower and lower into the earth. <laughs> well, that thinking about Diablo, it has kind of very evocative and cool music associated with it. Um, how does music and like stuff like uh, dungeon synth and things like that? Is that something that's important to you in your creative process? And like, does that influence you at all? Uh, yeah, I, I really like to use music as, you know, background when i game it also uh, adds to the atmosphere of what's happening i also listen to it while i'm making my miniatures but 
it's the music is very important to me especially i like like you said dungeon synth and uh, ambient music uh, the uh, video game and movie soundtracks you know stuff like that it, it it really fits i would actually like to to collaborate with a dungeon synth or ambient uh, artist uh, to, to create some music for my worlds at some point that, that would be cool so yeah. maybe you know Somewhere down the line, I'm I'm gonna try to find someone to work with, and that would be cool. Well, so some of our listeners might not be familiar with what dungeon synth as a genre is. Could you give a description or your description of it, Anna? Uh, sure. Uh, it's it's a uh, like kind of recently uh, developed genre that came from uh, what what I found interesting. It came from black metal. I'm not a fan of black metal. I can't stand black metal it, it's it's very grating but dungeon synth is uh, is electronic music that uh, is usually very melodic and uh, it has it, it's heavy on the atmosphere like dark atmosphere that takes you to to old school rpgs and uh, you know castles ruins all that stuff i like so it it sounds the way i make miniatures basically yeah, so, yeah, from my understanding of it, as you said, it kind of originated from, like, the black metal scene where one of the early artists of it, um, he goes by Mortis from Norway. He was, for a short time, in the black metal band Emperor, but was eventually mm. kicked out because he wasn't wasn't good enough as a musician. <laughs> I, I think he was a bassist or something. But then he, on his own time, was starting to experiment with keyboards and make like atmospheric soundtrack sort of stuff which then that launched his career and he's he's still still doing it but black metal in itself can be pretty grating but i mean to each their own i i in the end kind of like that myself too but also like stuff too so you've participated in a bunch of collaborative events over the years like tour megiddo Mordheim 2019, which, as we mentioned, we actually were able to meet you there, um, but also have done some of your own, like Legin and Sunhold is going to happen at some point, hopefully. What's what's like your draw and attachment to these sorts of style events? And do you think there's something that it adds to just the hobby and community as a whole? I think those events are really a wonderful experience. Like I said before, it's it's great to meet people in person, people you you hang out with online, and who have uh, you know you you share interests and uh, and the hobby, and uh, it's it's great to to meet up and, and play a game or just talk. Like like people who who do competitive gaming, they go to tournaments where they hang out with their friends. People who are painters go to you know painting shows mm-hmm. and. These kind of events are that, but for me. Yeah. And uh, what's also cool about them is you get to collaborate and build a world together. I'm, I usually like to work alone. Like I have very strong vision and, you know, I, I, I like to create on my own, but sometimes it's really cool to, to you know, to work with others and uh, to, to work together to make something. Uh, it, it's 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 special mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i feel i certainly agree with that and was i guess just it, for us starting a blog and such and realizing like over time that there are other people who have similar interests and that you can kind of get together and work and inspire one another for the things you're doing i think is is fun and having like some sort of set date to do something also pushes everybody to try something different and explore a new facet of like a hobby they already enjoy. So like, yeah, I feel they're great and something that I would encourage anyone to try to start some event and get people involved and whatnot. It doesn't have to be a huge like global thing or whatever, but just yeah, trying especially. To- Especially now, the the whole twenty eight community has grown much larger than when it was when I joined. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot a lot of people you can bring on board. 
No, it, it has grown tremendously. And I mean, I think it is in part due to like your blog and your work and I guess the 28 magazine, which you were a part of sort of its foundation. And yes, I feel it's easier than ever to explore some of these things and worth it if you're at all interested. Yeah, uh, the, the magazine was, I think, a, a great move. And uh, it, yes, li like you said, it made it easier for people to understand what the fuck this even is <laughs> yeah. and, and how to, how to you know, get involved. And uh, the mag is organizing challenges and, you know, community stuff, which also uh, helps people to get involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so I, I, I certainly agree with that. And I feel for a long time, just in general, you've sort of been kind of a hobby ambassador sharing kind of your creations, how you, your thought process, some tutorials and such. Like hell, like for the Mordheim event, we mentioned you created a warband for Greg to use. Like that, this sort of generosity, I feel, is constantly being shown throughout like your work and such. How important is that sort of interaction with the community? I know it can be sort of a solitary hobby at times, but I think that connection is helpful. Yeah, I, I like that I can interact with people who, who enjoy the same stuff I do and who enjoy my work. I'm not going to pretend that all the praise I'm getting is, is, is not pleasant. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the um, when I blog, I, I it's not entirely altruistic that I, I just you know share it for the people. Uh, it's also a reminder for me. Like a few years down the line, I'm, I'm I can go back and see what I what I was doing at this time, how I was doing it. You know, it's it's notes, not just for mm -hmm. everyone uh, reading, but for me, like for future Anna. Uh, yeah. So I, I like engaging with, with the community in, in, through blogging, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, no, it's for, fun. For various reasons. Yeah, I feel I kind of have a similar thought for our blog as well. It's like it's nice to share things. It encourages you to keep going on with things and just to interact with people as well as yeah, just to be able to... Um, almost like have a journal of how things have progressed and what you're doing. But after, yeah, many years of just having your blog here, you did, as we suggested, transition into like a professional painting studio. Um, recently, I guess it started even last year throughout the, the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired that and like how that's going? Sure. This kind of stuff is what I'm good at. I have... A particular set of skills and um, I just uh, finished my story with the university and I didn't have a job so uh, starting this was a way to have a job and now I have a job yeah so <laughs> hell thank yeah you, thank you to everyone who buys my stuff because you know <laughs> you're feeding me basically um, <laughs> Uh, it's 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 awesome that I get to do what I love and uh, make an honest living from it. it mm -hmm. It's the dream, and I'm I'm lucky, you know, that, that this is a reality for me. At least for now, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm never gonna be rich doing this, you know. But uh, it's it's fine. Like I'm pretty happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If people are interested in trying to like commission you to do something, should they just go to your website and like you have like contact information on there. And I guess there's, yeah, the, there's a, uh, there's a form where, yeah. And you can just drop me an email, like on the bottom of the page, there's uh, you know, contact information and all that. You just, uh, you know, send a, uh, you just ask about it basically. Mm -hmm. uh, you tell me what your idea is and we can discuss it. And uh, I can tell you how much, it's going to cost. That's basically it. Mm -hmm. I don't have a fixed price list because I make very highly customized stuff and you yeah. know, each project is unique and each project is, you know, for the person who, who, who commissioned it. Yeah. I feel that's kind of a unique element 
of your work like certainly it sort of suggests that you're like a professional painting studio but i feel it goes beyond that it's not just like oh paint those stormcast eternals for me like there is more there and i think that's what kind of allows you to stand out and be special amongst like because there are lots of you know painting studios that are more focused on like do you need an army to play at that next tournament like <laughs> warrior warrior studio and like that's not that's, yeah, that's not you that's not my kind of uh, that's not well, my I mean, yeah well i think having your blog as well like you essentially had like years to kind of like promote and kind of show your unique style and stuff yes, to people and, and so like people, that i think is great people showed interest in my work like people mm-hmm. bought the miniatures I sculpted and uh, the card deck that I, I designed. I love that card deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someday I should probably, uh, uh, you know, have it available again. The the company that I used uh, stopped shipping to my country and said oh. they would never do it again. So I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I have I have one of those. Uh, sort of Malifaux like card decks that I just have with my things. So whenever I take a case of models around, it's there for if I need it. <laughs> <laughs> just sort of building on this, like, yeah, certainly people have taken notice of like your creations and your work. And just like the Kickstarter that's going on now with you and Dave Taylor creating a book kind of showcasing some of your work and creative process is a testament to that. Can you talk a little bit about that project? And Sure. It's uh, the, the book is really an amazing experience for me. And uh, it was a long time aspiration of mine to do something like that, uh, to, to, to make a book. So yeah, many thanks to Dave Taylor for making that happen for me and to all the backers who, who funded uh, the project, I think it's it's doing really well. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. What people can expect from my book and from the other books in the series uh, is a bunch of photos of, of mine and the other uh, artists' models and our thoughts on how and why we do things with miniatures. Like, for me in particular, it's going to focus on the world building because th- that's basically what I do. I use, like, Things from from miniature modeling and painting, scenery building, photography, graphic design, making uh, like all kinds of gaming accessories and stuff like that. I use all of that to to bring my imaginary weird ass worlds into uh, <laughs> physical reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, also gaming, yeah. So th- that's that's what my my book is gonna cover. The other two books are by uh, Crystal uh, Kiel. He's a really awesome kid basher. Like he, his book is also gonna involve a lot about converting miniatures, but he has a different approach. He like uses almost no green stuff for his stuff. Like mm-hmm. he's like kid basher. And the the volume one is by Miniature Monthly, which is a collective of three artists. Uh, who are who also teach painting and they have a very uh, high uh, high skills in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the techniques of, of miniature painting. So you know it's it's a collection of three different books, each uh, showing an approach to the, the miniatures hobby from a totally different perspective. Yeah, and no, I think it's it's a really cool a cool thing to see. And like Dave, he's had at least two previous kickstarters um, making various books about the hobby so i feel this seems like a natural next step but it's neat that he's moving out to showcase other people's work and how kind of it fits in with the hobby and just like these three books currently does they do a good job of kind of showcasing the diversity of interests in the hobby and Mm -hmm. like i think that that's exciting and it's neat to see not even a day into the campaign it's already far surpassed you know the fundraising goals so like it's exciting to see that it has already been successful and i think only more so and just i'm excited that you're one of the first books in the in the hopefully continuing series because i feel 
you're of all like the people that I follow in the hobby, I feel you're one of the major ones that I, you know, would like to see an even deeper dive into kind of that creative process. Thank you. And I, I'm, I'm really excited too. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Truly. Oh, and hopefully with the success of this, they'll continue with some more books, like maybe weirding way can have one. Yeah. <laughs> no, sure. I mean, Why not? I mean, the, the, the series is meant to continue. That's the plan. As far as I know, these, these are just the first three volumes. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope we get to see many, many other artists and, uh, and, you know, get a chance to learn from them. Um, and, yeah, and their explore like the different like diversity and inspirations and processes that everyone has because yeah, yeah everyone kind of comes at it differently there many different ways to go about the hobby um i guess with that we're like kind of just move past the hour point like maybe this is a good place to wrap this up but i guess with that do you have any you know shout outs you'd like to do last words things like that last words that's not <laughs> last <laughs> words for this particular session of talking hopefully no. we can have you on at another time point <laughs> thanks for having me here it, it was fun yeah no nah, it's, it's been really fun talking with you kind of about your approach to the hobby and things and also this kickstarter which hopefully is even more successful than it's already looking to be now. But yeah, with that, thanks everybody. Thanks again, particularly to you, Anna, for being here. And I guess, yeah, we hope to talk with you again soon. And yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dragged into Turbo Lasers. If you have any questions or suggestions, don't hesitate to contact us through Instagram or leave a comment on our YouTube channel or on our blog, BetweenTheBolterAndMe.com. We also stream on Twitch every week and would love to hear from you there as well. If you'd like to support us, please feel free to leave a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts or subscribe to our channel on YouTube and Twitch.